do the mRNA COVID vaccines offer any mortality benefit? Not according to a shocking Danish study. Come on, let's go take a look. Hello, 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 everybody. Dr. Chris Martinson here with another episode, episode 58. Today, we're going to be talking about a study that has come out that actually the results of which won't be too shocking to those of you who've been following me for a while because we reported some of this data, but now it's been done in an actual study that's going in the Lancet. So I feel it's okay to talk about it out here on YouTube. Of course, this is the kind of thing that would have gotten me censored just a little while ago, but I think with uh, there's a a new air out there with Twitter being bought by Elon Musk and him promising a lot of new free speech. So maybe this free speech will extend here as well, where we are allowed finally to talk about science and data and scientific results in an open and free and fair way. By the way, the point of going through science and science data is not to be right. It's to get closer to the truth with every passing iteration we learn as we go. So that's what this is all about. Now let's, um, let's see here. Let's go to this study right away. By the way, first up, episode 58. This is this is not good news and it's not a good look for these things which were uh, supposed to be safe and effective. I think we can start to cross out both of those words now with a lot more data and a lot more understanding. And of course, if we'd had active regulators on the job from the beginning, it wouldn't be me bringing you this information or Danish researchers, by the way, for those of you living in the U.S. So uh, these are both examples of mRNA vaccines. But when we ask about effective, we should ask effective at what? So what we were told was these were effective at preventing death, preventing disease, right? So that's what they should be effective at. But mostly what you would really want to see in a pandemic is that your so-called vaccines are actually busy preventing death. Remember, Joe Biden told us that we were going to face a winter of darkness, disease, and death for the unvaccinated. We have to ask a question now about what's really going on with these vaccines because of this. So this is in the Lancet. This is a preprint, but it's been, uh, that means it still hasn't gone through the complete peer review process, the anonymized peer review process, but people I trust who are qualified to look at this paper have looked at it and said, hey, this passes the sniff test. They did the best they could. So this was a rant. They looked at all the randomized clinical trials of COVID-19 vaccines, and then they pooled those results so they could look at that even larger number. So Pfizer and Moderna's mRNA vaccines, the results got pooled from those randomized controlled trials, the RCTs, okay? And they did the same thing for the adenovirus vector vaccines. And so they're asking the question, do adenovirus vector vaccines have beneficial nonspecific effects? I'll tell you what that means in a second, because interesting findings that came through. <coughs> Excuse me. So carrying on right down here, um, the abstract right up front of the paper, they're asking this question and here they, they phrase it. They say to examine the possible nonspecific effects non-specific effects of the novel COVID-19 vaccines, we reviewed the randomized controlled trials or RCTs of mRNA and adenovirus vector COVID-19 vaccines reporting overall mortality, overall mortality, including COVID-19 deaths, accident deaths, cardiovascular deaths, and other non-COVID-19 deaths. Quote, for overall mortality, 
with 74,193 participants and 61 deaths. That's 31 in the mRNA trials, arms of the trial, and 30 in the placebo arms. The relative risk for the two mRNA vaccines compared with placebo was 1.03, meaning there was a 3% higher chance of dying in the vaccine arm than in the placebo arm. Is that meaningful? We don't really know because the 95% confidence interval means it could have been anywhere from a relative risk reduction of 37% because that would have brought us down to 0.63 all the way up to a 71% higher chance of causing death. So that's the 95% confidence interval. It means we can't say one way or the other whether these vaccines had any impact on mortality whatsoever. But when you combine everything, the uh, the center of that is 1.03. That's a non-statistically relevant finding. This was the information that the FDA had when they were reviewing these. They would have gone through all of this data, and then they should have come to the conclusion and said, wow, hey, these things don't actually reduce mortality. That's not what we were told at the beginning, of course, but um, we should have been told. And I, I reviewed that Pfizer data fairly early on in this. I could probably dig up that episode. But I looked at it and also noted that it was really odd that we had 15 deaths and 16 deaths. And then later, and this study didn't include this later part, Pfizer had to amend that and say on a six-month follow-up that they actually had 21 deaths in the placebo arm, sorry, in the mRNA arm, um, vaccine arm, compared to 15 in the placebo arm. So they had actually had six more on this side. This study didn't look at, at that, those particular results. They're taking, pooling the earlier submitted trial results as far as I understand it. Um, so, but that right there, that's, that's, not a, that's not an exceptionally good finding when you say we want to be effective. So effective at what? We would want to see effective at reducing all-cause mortality. That's, that would be the number one thing you would be looking for in the middle of a pandemic with a, uh, a, a virus that has a respiratory virus that has the chance of being lethal. And we know it's exponentially more lethal with age. We'll get to that distinction in just a section, second because that matters. Carrying on, they also said here uh, in the adenovirus vector vaccine, so that's the J&J, &J, that's the AstraZeneca, there were 122,164 participants and 46 deaths of which 16 were in the vaccine arm, 30 in the control arm. So the RR, the relative risk for adenovirus vector vaccines versus placebo control was 0.37. So that, and look at that confidence interval, it ranges from 0.19 to 0.70. We are positive that those vaccines did reduce all-cause mortality. So they had a, a mortality benefit. That much is, that much we know now. Um, carrying on, so in 0.37, that means there was a 63% lower chance of dying if, you, in the, if you'd had these vaccines. All right, um, so carrying on, the adenovirus vector vaccines were associated with protection against COVID-19 deaths with a relative risk of 0.11. And again, the confidence interval is, is all below one, so there's a positive relative risk there. And non-accident, non-COVID-19 deaths, which is a little odd. We'll have to talk about that more, more completely in a second. How, how do non-accident, so what, what, an accident death, by the way, um, these are people who got shot, stabbed, uh, fell down and conked their head and had a cracked skull, car accidents, things like that. So they're saying as well for non-accident, non-COVID-19 deaths, 
Again, there was a relative risk of 0.38, all below the confidence intervals, all below one. <clears throat> so there's an actual positive benefit there. That's an interesting finding. That's the kind of thing where you'd say, let's follow up on that, because that's how do we explain that? And I think there is an explanation. The two types of vaccines differed significantly with respect to overall mortality. So that's 0.03 uh, p-value as well as non-accident, non-COVID-19 deaths, again, with a p-value of less than 0.05, so 0.046. Quote, the placebo-controlled RCTs of COVID-19 vaccines were halted rapidly due to clear effects on COVID-19 infections. However, the data presented here argue for performing more RCTs of mRNA and adeno vector, vector vaccines head-to-head, comparing long-term effects on overall mortality. Yes, that's exactly what should happen. We should have that data by now. We should have been comparing the long-term effects. We should be c- comparing not just vaccinated versus unvaccinated, but we should have had all this data. Are you listening, CDC? We should have had all this data broken out by different types of vaccination, vaccination status, not putting that little 14-day window in there where we call people unvaccinated because they're only 14 days uh, prior to 14 days post or less of having their first, second, or third, or fourth jab. We, We would have access to all of this data at this point in time, and we don't. But thank you, Danish researchers, for putting this together. Now, there's a number of things they couldn't do with this study because they had to just pull the data as it was given in the clinical trials. And these were poorly designed clinical trials, at least from a public health data standpoint. They were really exquisitely designed for getting the exact answer that the pharma companies wanted to get. And it put that into a very narrow range. So we'll talk about those um, conditions and limitations in just a second. So this Danish study now, they're starting to say the quiet part out loud. So this is in their introduction. They say here, quote, within the current understanding of vaccines, it's logical to assume that COVID-19 vaccines reduce overall mortality corresponding to the number of COVID-19 deaths prevented. However, there is now ample evidence that vaccines can have broad heterologous effects on the immune system. These effects can lead to additional protection or increasing susceptibility to unrelated infections or even other non-infectious immune-mediated diseases. Heterologous means many. Um, there, There are a lot of related effects that could be happening that are impacting your immune system that don't have anything to do with COVID itself. It has to do with how these vaccines are modulating your overall body chemistry and, and immunological function. So that's what they mean by have broad heterologous effects on the immune system. And so then they pose the question like, well, these effects could lead to additional protection or increasing susceptibility. We don't know, but we should know. That's what we should know. Continuing, quote, therefore, As it has now been established in numerous studies, vaccines may have completely unexpected effects on overall mortality, different from what could have been anticipated based on the protection against the vaccine-targeted disease. This is why we do long-term, broad-ranging studies. Hey, it was an emergency, warp speed, fast track, get these things out there. That's understandable, possibly excusable. 
What's inexcusable is not then having the most rigorous tracking and follow-up program possible with all the data being absolutely collected so we could begin to address these sorts of subtleties, which are now actually fairly obvious to everyone who's looking at the data now. It's becoming, we're starting to say the quiet part out loud now, which is like, hmm, these vaccines have an intended benefit and have an unintended set of, set of consequences. We can start to understand those now. All right. So this raises, it raises just a ton of questions. So here they say, um, continuing in the introduction, quote, the current system for testing vaccines does not incorporate this possibility. Well, why not? What, why, why, why would you possibly not incorporate that possibility? There's no good answer for that one that I can come up with. Continuing, quote, when the new COVID-19 vaccines were tested in randomized clinical trials, RCTs against placebo control vaccine, the trials were not designed to assess the effect on overall mortality. Why not? That's kind of weird, right? I mean, you'd think this is a pandemic. It's very deadly disease. That's what we were told. Um, you know, this is all hands on deck. We have to do everything possible because we have to prevent COVID-19 deaths, right? That's how the whole thing was built. So why were the trials not designed to assess the effect in overall mortality? Kind of weird. Continuing, quote, the possibility for observing such effects was further hampered by the short follow-up in these trials. As the individuals from the control groups received the vaccine after just three to six months, I put the word just in there, after three to six months following the emergency use authorization. Hence, though, it was anticipated that the new COVID-19 vaccines would reduce overall mortality, especially in the context of a pandemic. This has not been formally studied. Now, I have to put that on the regulators. That's up to the FDA and up to the CDC to look at the trial design and say, hey, here are the things we care about from a public health standpoint. Obviously, what you want is you want to show a reduction in all cause or overall mortality. Clearly, clearly that's what you want to do. Everybody knows that. It's not even open for debate. We can't have sidebar conversations and, and question whether that's true or not. That is clearly the, the overall case for those who are concerned with public health. I understand pharma companies have a different set of interests. They are concerned with making profits and selling products. But the regulatory agencies, their job is to watch out and be the guard dogs for overall public health. Okay, So the Danish researchers, in very quiet, very polite science speak, asked the question, um, you, you know, this has not been formally studied, this impact on all-cause overall mortality. Kind of weird. All right. Um, Martin Kuldorf, uh, of the one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, writing here in uh, the Brown in Brownstone Institute. He's um, it, this is just a really good writing on this one. He writes here, quote, in medicine, the gold standard for evidence is randomized controlled trials, RCTs, as they avoid study bias for or against the vaccine or any drug being studied. Moreover, the key outcome is death. Do these vaccines save lives? Hence, the Danish study answers the right question with the right data. It is the first study to do so. When the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines were approved by the U.S. FDA, that decision was based on RCTs. The RCTs submitted to the FDA showed that the vaccines reduce symptomatic COVID infections. 
by recruiting mostly younger and middle-aged adults who are unlikely to die from COVID no matter what, the studies were not designed to determine whether the vaccines also reduce mortality. That was assumed as a corollary, although it may or may not be true. Neither were the RCTs designed to determine whether the vaccines reduce transmission. It's a different story for another time, end quote. Well, you're probably wondering at this point, wait a minute, who sets up a trial in the middle of a pandemic and sets up the trial designed in a way that they can assess whether it stops transmission or even slows transmission or maybe speeds it up or has any impact on transmission whatsoever and doesn't design it so they can assess the impact on mortality? What was it designed to assess? It was just designed to assess whether symptomatic COVID was reduced or not. That's it. That's all they set out to find. But you might ask, well, why would you do that? Why, why would you design a trial specifically to just look at that very narrow, narrow window? Obviously, that was intentional, right? That, the trials aren't designed by monkeys typing on typewriters infinitely. The trials are designed by humans who make choices. They go, not this, not this, let's study that. Okay, so the trials were designed to only study the impact in a, over a very short period of time on COVID symptoms period. And it was assumed as a corollary that if people didn't have symptomatic COVID, then they wouldn't die as much. You can't make that assumption, right? You have to actually study that. So um, there are, are huge limitations in these studies. So the Danish researchers can't tell us anything about the impact on mortality by age because it wasn't studied. They can't tell us anything about um, uh, the impact on mortality by comorbidity because it wasn't really studied. Um, there's a lot of things that weren't really studied. So, um, again, even that idea that, you know, once we had the data in hand that said, hey, there was also it was kind of implied that these things were going to reduce these mRNA vaccines were going to reduce transmissibility. In fact, you heard Rochelle Walensky of the CDC say that directly. You heard Rachel Maddow say that. You heard the president of the United States, Joe Biden, say that exact those exact words. If you take these vaccines, you will not be able to pass COVID on to the next person. Well, we've known for a long time that's not the case here. This is from UK official data uh, looking here at, uh, let me get my drawing tool out because I apparently haven't got it out yet. Here we're looking at three things, not fully vaccinated, how many people got cases per 100,000, fully vaccinated, how many cases of COVID, and vaccinated and booster, um, how many cases do they have? The highest, of course, in this group, of course, is those who are vaccinated with a booster have a higher incidence of catching COVID than either of the other two groups, which uh, are about tied now um, here. So we see that fully vaccinated and not fully vaccinated have kind of caught up to each other, but they have about half the rate of catching COVID as people who are fully vaccinated with a booster. Now, why would that be the case? Remember, we have to go back up here and we have to ask about the fact that, that evidence that vaccines can have broad heterologous effects on the immune system. And these effects can lead to additional protection or increasing susceptibility to unrelated infections um, or maybe even to COVID itself. Right. So this is actually this sort of data has been out there for a long time now. And so if the original reasons for using these particular mRNA vaccines were it's going to reduce mortality, it's going to stop the transmission, and it's going to reduce symptomatic cases, well, two of those effective 
measures have been just chucked out the window. And of course, that data has been with us for a long time. So here are the tables uh, from that Lancet study by the Danish researchers. Just so you can see the data itself here, you can see the overall mortality was 1.03. And guess what? COVID mortality was actually reduced to 0.4, of course, but look at that confidence interval. Could have been as low as 0.08, could have been as high as 2.06. So we can't actually say anything about that. Um, but cardiovascular mortality was up by 45%. Uh, and again, could be as low as 0.67, could be as high as 3.13. So we don't really, we can't say much about that. But what we can say is that it's impossible to say, based on this data, that there's any mortality benefit one whatsoever because, oops, jumped off the wrong thing here, back to here, because of this number right up here. There's, there's no mortality benefit. Of course, that was touted early on as a corollary. It was assumed applied. It was stated. It was... Um, it was pretty well declared by a lot of people in public health authorities who, who had access to the data. They should have known better. But AstraZeneca in J&J, clear benefits here. Clear. Overall mortality reduced to 0.37. The confidence interval is all below one. So we're positive as we can be, at least with a 95% confidence interval, that the overall mortality is reduced by these, interestingly, though, uh, the lowest bent mortality um, on here is due to COVID-19. Again, these are fairly small numbers. We only have two deaths here compared to eight. If this number had gone to three, this would change this number a lot because these are these are fairly smallish numbers here. But still, taking the data as we see it, uh, 0.11 relative risk, that means there's an 89% lower chance of dying from COVID if you have either one of these two adenovirus vector vaccines. Okay. Interestingly, cardiovascular mortality all the way down at 0.065. So there might there might even be a protective benefit in here. Hard to say. Again, small numbers worth looking at. As they mentioned in their abstract up front, once you have data like this, you're like, we should study this. Is this true? Because that's a pretty interesting finding. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't know what all the reasons could be. Other non-COVID-19 mortality. Again, some benefit to that and maybe even to accidents. <clears throat> Excuse me, don't understand why those things would be true. Smallish numbers, but this is how science works. You get your indication and you say, wow, this is kind of cool. Somebody should follow this up with, with a lot more study. But for now, we can say definitively that to protect from COVID-19, according to the way this study, according to RCT data, the adenovirus vector vaccines are the better way to go at this point in time. That's what the data says right now. This is summing it all up into a forest plot. This really isn't a good look on U.S. regulators or regulators in other countries, Australia, New Zealand, U.K., looking at you. Um, overall mortality of the mRNA vaccine, nada, nothing. Anything on this side of the line favors uh, placebo. Anything on this side favors vaccine. But the zero mark here says uh, it the one, which is sort of the, the zero bound, if you will. Um, there's, there's zero benefit. However, the adenovirus vaccine very clearly have a benefit down here. Here's the range. Um, that's the confidence interval that we can look at right there. So all of that confidence interval is below one. So there is a clear benefit there. COVID-19 deaths, here we see that there's um, a, this is below one. This is way below one. Of course, the confidence interval pokes on both sides of that one 
mark. So can't really say much about even that for the mRNA vaccines. However, cardiovascular deaths here, it's above this mark, which isn't a good look. But again, it bounders this line. We would need to see more data to be say anything conclusive about that. Whereas this is kind of an odd finding. This is even including the entire confidence interval is down here below this line. So somehow it looks like the adenovirus vaccine is providing a protective benefit. Lots of theories about why that could be. I don't know. I'd just be guessing like crazy. Um, but it's possible that the adenovirus vaccine is actually protecting you from COVID in such a way that it's protecting your heart uh, for any COVID-related heart issues. Possible. Possible. It's a totally unrelated mechanism. We don't know anything about. Don't know. Um, and again, non-accident, non-COVID deaths, kind of weird. Uh you know, as expect, you wouldn't expect anything to show up here. You wouldn't expect the vaccines to have any sort of an influence on non-accident, non-COVID related deaths. But again, these um, adenovirus vaccines are showing up down here. At any rate, U.S. regulators, other regulators in other countries, when you look at this and you then mandated vaccines, uh, started pushing them into children, um, doing things like that, you would have to be able to explain this chart you'd have this and they have access to all this right they've had access to all this data far longer than anybody else i'm surprised and not that shocked that we had to wait for danish researchers to pull this data together because this should have been absolutely no question about it inarguably the role of the cdc and the fda to have been sifting through this and pulling this data together and then talking about it and communicating it in a useful reasonable way to the rest of the world uh, they did not do that for reasons that shall go unexplained at this point in time. So, so many questions. First, the facts. We know that the mRNA trials, they were stopped early, so we don't have any long-term tracking. We, we don't have access to that data. Um, and the mRNA trials mainly only enrolled healthy younger people for whom death wasn't a significant risk. So against that backdrop of facts, the questions are, well, why were these trials with such poor designs accepted by the regulators in the first place? Two, how did the regulators completely ignore the mortality data? And why are we only now hearing about this from Danish researchers? Why, why weren't they trumpeting the clear benefits from the adenovirus vector vaccines when really I think uh, what we heard was just a, a lot of relentless pushing for the mRNA vaccines? Open question, why did the regulators make that stance and why did they push one over the other given this data? It's very hard to defend those actions given the data that we have access to right now. If there's other data they have access to, bring it out. Let me see it. Uh, maybe that'll change my mind. But for now, this is the best data we have. Um, when the claim of these uh, mRNA vaccines, they stopped the spread, when that was proven false in the real world, why didn't the regulators immediately stop and reassess these mRNA vaccines against that backdrop? In fact, now that we have data that more of these jabs tend to increase the rate of transmission, that too would have been a, a moment to pause and reassess. Um, and then uh, I have to ask the question, under what basis could the vaccine mandates continue for the mRNA platforms themselves, given all of this, right? It's, it's becoming harder and harder to, to justify from any standpoint. And the only standpoint I can sort of understand this was this one. It had nothing to do with the science, it had nothing to do with the data, it had nothing to do with transmissibility, mortality, it had nothing to do with any of that. It was just simply a decision was made that getting more vaccines into more people would have a positive benefit and that any hesitancy against that might have reduced that benefit. Okay, fair theory. 
I totally get the logic. However, that's the hypothesis. What would the data be that they would have then been relying on to bolster that? That's what should have come next. Hey, we have this hypothesis. Hesitancy is going to harm a lot of lives, and we want to get back to our, our lives. So we want to reduce COVID. We want to reduce sickness and illness from COVID. We want to reduce deaths from COVID. Great, great idea. Do you have the data to say that then that is the appropriate approach? Yes or no? Don't have We don't have that data right now at all. So the implications of this Danish study, I thought they phrased this relatively well. They're really worried about, you know, the obvious public health importance. That's that's the framing for this. In yellow, quote, while mass vaccination programs with COVID-19 vaccines are rolled out, data on their effects on non-COVID-19 mortality should be collected. Absolutely. Um, end quote there for a second. Let me talk about that. Uh, data on their effects on non-COVID-19 mortality. This could be anything. We saw that there's non-COVID, non-accidental deaths, that, that they had an impact on that. We need to understand that better, right? Are they offering a protective effect, as we seem to be hinting at in the adenovirus vector vaccines? Or are they doing something where they're having the opposite, a non-positive impact on health and life? As we saw in the data from the RCTs, for the mRNA vaccines, excuse me. Quote, continuing, as COVID-19 mortality comes under better control due to herd immunity and increasing vaccination coverage, the impact on non-COVID-19 mortality becomes particularly important from a public health perspective. Public health perspective. Why is this not still, why is this not front and center of every conversation? Unfortunately, the opportunity for conducting large-scale RCTs, vaccine versus placebo trials, passed once the vaccines were introduced generally in the population. So, oops, forgot to do it. Carrying on, quote, to throw light on the potential differences in nonspecific effects between vaccine types. One way forward would be for public health authorities to conduct RCTs comparing mRNA vaccines and the adenovirus vector vaccines for their effect on overall COVID-19 mortality as well as non-COVID-19 mortality, end quote. Yes, absolutely. That's what we should have. That's what should have been done. That's what any intact, healthy society would do. This wouldn't be buried. We wouldn't be gaslighting people. We wouldn't be banning, censoring people for asking these kinds of questions because this is data. That's what we should be doing. And so... Uh, absolutely, I would 100% wholeheartedly support this activity right here. We should be doing all of that. And why should we be doing that? Well, maybe the Danish researchers will look into this too. I've expected, I've asked, I've cajoled, I've tried to shame, I've tried to convince the CDC to please look into this data, and I've had no success so far. And they should be looking into this because this is the one piece of data they are most responsible for. You, this is all-cause mortality in the United States. This is from everything accidents, suicides, cancer, heart attacks, COVID. It's all smushed into one big thing, but you can clearly see here that if this back here in March of 2020, if this was the COVID spike, well, once the vaccines started to get rolled out here, what's this bump about? What is all this excess mortality above expected deaths? What is this about? We talked about this with the 40% more deaths in the 18 to 64 year old age group 
within the uh, life insurance data that was in the live cast that I do on Thursday nights. That one was a couple of weeks ago. Check out that episode if you want. We talk about that uh, health insurance, sorry, the life insurance data. This right here, though, this is unacceptable. This this is the this dotted line down here would be where you consider exit. That's a substantial increase. Is anything above that red dotted line where we would expect to be is somewhere around this green dotted line. Obviously, there's some seasonal effects. More people tend to die right around the turning of the new year than at any other time. It's a seasonal impact. That's why you see those little bumps. You have the bumps there in January, January, January. All right, but what we're not seeing in here is that there is any <clears throat> reduction. We, have, we are not back down where we should be, which is way down here. We're seeing excess deaths way up here. Somebody needs to answer for that. There needs to be an explanation for it. As a starting point, there ought to be some inquiry into it. There ought to be some curiosity. There ought to be some looking into it and publishing studies and then let scientists and other people weigh in and go back and forth and bandy about ideas and, and eventually we'll get closer and closer to the actual truth. But you can't get to the truth if you don't even look at it in the first place. As far as I am aware, there are no official studies about this within the United States CDC going on and that is absolutely unacceptable. Full stop, speaking as a citizen here of this particular country. All right, so, hey, but maybe the Danish researchers will look into it and save the CDC some trouble. I don't know. I, don't, I really, I don't want to have to be this dismissive and even full of contempt for the CDC, but I'm going to have to be because they are failing at their jobs in a big, big way. I don't have any good explanations for that, but the data clearly says they need to start doing something else. All right. Hey, um, I'm going to be moving to part two in just a second. This is at my website. This is uh, members only. So I do run a subscription news site service. Hey, this is what I do. I am a person who gathers data, synthesizes it, talks about it. And if you like, um, well, if you like being well-informed and you want to be part of a tribe and you want to help pay it forward by supporting me, you enable me to do this work. I bring information to the world in a way that hopefully people can understand and um, bring into their minds. So come on by Peak Prosperity if you want to, dot com slash membership. Uh, please sign up if you will, uh, because that helps support me and you help me bring, and all of my team, bring this information to the world. For now, listen, I'm kind of hopeful that I can get this message out here finally. This is a message I've been sitting on for a while. Now that it's out there in the Lancet, hopefully we can get past the censors here in the United States and actually talk about this like reasonable, responsible adults should. And we'll do it with full context. We'll do it with complete understanding. We'll even dare to use big words. And we will pretend as if it's actually okay for us uh, to look at things and come to our own conclusions. For now, it's completely obvious that the way these studies were designed was too narrow, inappropriately done, and couldn't answer the basic questions on all-cause mortality. All right, we were in a panic. We were in a hurry. It was warp speed. I get it. What I don't get is that there has been a year and a half of non-follow-up on those particular findings, lack of communication around that from all of the relevant health authorities who should have been doing that. It becomes a pattern where we see the pattern over and over again was clearly to make things look better than they were and hide other data or make things look worse than they were in order to support uh, another program or policy like that. That's the world we've been in. Hopefully that's coming to a close. Listen, 
eventually we're going to get our heads around this. That's my hope. We have to do that. Uh, by the way, if you want to come by and see what I'm talking about in part two, two big things. I'm going to continue to follow up the conclusions of this particular data right here. And I got to tell you, there's some major, major warning signs economically, particularly out of China, supply chains. The other big work I do in the world is talking about finance, financial systems. I think more people are going to be harmed by the economic downturn that's coming than by COVID itself and the supply chains and energy crises, all that that's unfolding right now. So come on by peakprosperity.com. Check it out. Love to have you there. Love to have you be part of the tribe. Can't wait to communicate with you there or here as well. That's all I have for today. Thanks so much. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.